universe delivered me an actual gold mine that I didn't even know existed and it was right here in my backyard. I really have an amazing grounds and backdrop to tell this story. I love interacting with the realness of the world. I'm, I'm so grateful that, that the universe has delivered me Vulture. That was the voice of renowned pumpkin sculptor and storyteller Ray Villafane. The place he's raving about is the little-known ghost town about an hour north of Phoenix called Vulture City. He recently took up residence in the area, setting up a new workshop he calls the Boneyard Mining Company in the remnants of the town itself. But why does he love this desolate, abandoned place so much? This town, built around the nearby Vulture Mine, has a history that influenced not just the Phoenix Valley area, but the entire state of Arizona. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm producer Thomas France, and today I'll be kicking off the month of October by exploring the forgotten realm of this incredible ghost town. The story of Vulture City actually begins thousands of miles away, in an area of what is now Germany, with a man who was born Johann Heinrich Wickenburg. We know him today as Henry Wickenburg, founder of the city bearing his last name. I wanted to find out how a Prussian in the 1800s wound up all the way in Arizona. So I sat down with Cindy Thrasher, president of the Wickenburg Historical Preservation Society and honorary town historian. Henry was born in Essen, Germany on a farm. He and his brother were caught um, mining coal on their farm. They had coal reserves. And at one point it was legal, but when the Prussian government took over, then they retained the mineral rights. So because the family farm wasn't panning out financially, Henry and his brother went to mining the coal and were caught by a neighbor or someone that turned them in, and they had to flee. And the brother fled to an old mining tunnel. Supposedly, it caved in, and for 30 years, nobody knew where he was, and they found the skeletal remains uh, later on. Henry also fled to the Netherlands and served in the army for a year. From there, Henry boarded a boat bound for America. He got a job tending the fires on ships for the Pacific Mail Steamship Company. That employment took him around South America to California, where in 1853, he was involved in the drilling of the first artisan well in Fresno, according to the census reports. Henry then spent some time with various mining camps, learning the trade of prospecting. When the veins in California dried up, he moved east into the Arizona Territory. Cindy told me that there are inferences that Henry worked for the city of Tucson, driving teams of horses. But when the Civil War reached the West, the government cut ties and he was forced to move on. That's when he found gold. Literally. No one seems to agree on how he found it, possibly because Henry himself told varying stories. But Cindy had some thoughts. There are two stories that 
seemed feasible. One being the, the Walker Party, which was a prospecting party that was instrumental in settling the Prescott area. And they were all involved up at Rich Hill and in People's Valley. He was with uh, Colonel Woolsey, and Colonel Woolsey was a member of the Walker Party up in People's Valley. And supposedly, Colonel Woolsey had a piece of ore that came from a mine in the Harkahalas. Um, and it was, I may not pronounce this right, but it was the Penetachapit mine, supposedly. So a bunch of, of the partners went looking for this mine that was supposed to be rich in gold. And on the way, one story is that Henry passed this out cropping, thought it was interesting, but didn't dwell on it at the point and went on. They say a year later that maybe he came back to that particular area. Another story that Angela Hutchinson Hammer tells, and she knows Henry, and she said this is what Henry told her, is that at one point he found a bunch of burrows with saddles and they were burnt and they found ore around these burrows or animals and no people. Dan Finley, executive director of the Desert Caballeros Western Museum, told me a different version. The mythology is he saw a vulture uh, circling a reasonably distinctive geologic formation in this area and he followed the vulture to that point and there he discovered gold and that's how Wickenburg sort of got its if you will modern day start and from that point forward the area has evolved from a mining region to a ranching region to more modern day pursuits. Yet another story I found claimed that Henry shot a flying vulture to use one of its wings as a broom and it fell right on top of an outcropping with gold right on the surface. That one seems to be a mere fabrication, because there's no supporting documentation other than people retelling the story. Regardless of how, Henry Wickenburg really did find gold. The book History of Arizona by Ward R. Adams says that it was so plentiful in the beginning that you could pull it out of the ground with a penknife. They say that the Wickenburg, or the Vulture Mine, was uh, one of the wealthiest long-running mines. However, a lot of the stories say that the production cost more than the extraction. But there was probably 10 years in there where it was a really big deal. A lot of our uh, state officials and prominent people worked there at one point in time. Our first mayor worked there, Thomas Farish, who was the state historian in 1915. He worked there. George Lure, the Lure Library at ASU, is named after him. In 1866, Wickenburg sold his interests in the mine, but he didn't leave. He did uh, make a good living ultimately for himself here. He did move around from a number of areas and homes, but really by and large stayed in the Wickenburg area. He had other ventures. He had mines up in Black Canyon City and Gillette, made money off of those, but he was deeded 160 acres in the downtown area by Rutherford B. Hayes. And Henry, 
being versatile and an entrepreneur, we had the town surveyed and then split the property into lots and started selling those lots. That 160 acres grew and became the city we know today as Wickenburg. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned to hear the rest of the story. Hello, producer Amanda Liberto here. We're just taking a short break to let you know about our free mobile app. Whether it's stories like this one, politics, or breaking news, keep up to date with the AZ Central app, available in the App Store and Google Play. One day in 1905, they found Henry dead, not far from his home. No one else was around him, and there was no sign of a struggle. I had only ever read that Henry Wickenburg committed suicide. That was the official coroner's ruling, of course. But both Dan and Cindy informed me that there's much more to it. The great mystery of Henry is how he, in fact, died. It's pretty clear he died of a gunshot wound to the head. Uh, but the question is, who pulled the trigger? There's rumors of suicide. There's rumors of murder. There's rumors of assisted suicide. The story is that Henry Wickenburg left one morning and they didn't find him. And so later on in the afternoon, and it was deemed suicide because the coroner's panel had to be in agreement. Mr. Murphy, who later became uh, the sheriff for Maricopa County, said there were six reasons why Henry did not commit suicide. And one being the gun was in the wrong hand, that the bullet entered the wrong side of the temple. The Janung family wrote an article saying Henry was not capable of committing suicide. Pauline Holland, who inherited Henry's estate, basically was given the estate prior to Henry's death. A rumor surrounds the time before his death that Helene Holland passed along notes supposedly from Henry's family back in Germany, saying that they were all deceased. Newswoman and friend of Henry, Angela Hutchinson Hammer, read the notes and found it strange that they were written in English rather than German. Dan told me that just a year ago, the Desert Caballeros Western Museum held a forum to go over all the documentation available regarding Henry's death. Even with all the advanced methods of pathology today, they still could not conclusively prove how he died. Many have written that he died penniless, but even though it's hard to tell exactly how much he retained from his many ventures, his estate was definitely worth something. Possibly even something worth killing over. Henry and Vulture City left an astounding legacy. The mine opened and closed several times, most notably in 1942, when resources were supposed to be going towards the war effort. It reopened after an appeal, 
and after one more extended shutdown, has continued to operate. It's said that from the mine's discovery in 1863 to 1942, 340,000 ounces of gold and 260,000 ounces of silver was mined. Vulture City had a history of high grading, or skimming the best ore before passing it along to the assayer. So that number could be merely a fraction of the real number. The Wickenburg Historical Preservation Society says that many believe the value of gold at Vulture Mine directly helped in the creation of the territorial government, which resulted in Arizona becoming a state. The property was split, and the historic section relocated slightly away from the mining operation. Today, the owners are making every effort to preserve and restore that history. Now, you can visit that recreated town, faithful to how it was back in the 1800s. And if you do so during the month of October, you'll have the added bonus of seeing Ray Villafane's spooky additions. He's putting his talents to use with the backdrop of Vulture City to bring storytelling to life. I feel like we can make magic with anything, but the first thing we need to do in order to make magic with something, or to make anything with something, is to accept it for how it is. I hope to influence people to be able to be able to alchemize various aspects of themselves, their life, and our materials in order to create better circumstances, better art, whatever there is that they're making. Head out to current day Vulture City, and you might notice that it's a good deal out in the desert. It's something Henry Wickenburg noticed as well when he found the gold. So his first mill was built roughly 20 miles away, near the Hasayampa River. The miners would have to transport the gold all that distance to deliver to the mill. Men and animals alike needed water and food that just wasn't available. That's when Jack Swilling had an idea. He formed the Swilling Irrigating and Canal Company in 1867 and began a project in the nearby Salt River Valley. Long ago, the Hohokam tribe had a system of canals to make the area more bearable. Swilling and his team worked to revitalize that ancient system to supply water to the area. They built farms to provide hay for the animals at Vulture City. Now the valley was accessible to civilians. They settled around the renewed canals and started a town, and they decided to give it a name appropriate to their new civilization rising from the ashes of an ancient one. They called it Phoenix. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. If you have questions about Metro Phoenix or beyond, please submit them to our podcast by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm producer Thomas France. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.